electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I call the people make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. If you're like me, you're sick of reading that we're headed for an inevitable train wreck. That things are going to about to get terrible. The house of pain. That the banks will destroy the entire market. Sell, 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 sell. That the Fed has to cut rates, not raise rates. So why not bail from the entire asset class that is stocks, and we are in the house of stocks before disaster strikes. <laughs> No, that's how we get another ugly day like today, where the Dow tumbled 287 points, the S&P lost 0.72%, and the Nasdaq shed only 0.49%, and that does matter, so stay tuned. Even though the train wreck might seem inevitable right now, there are plenty of things that could happen to keep the proverbial train on the tracks, and we could get to... House of Pleasure. See, they come off, they do anything I want. Let me walk you through my wish list because when you go down and you go down and you go down, you usually find yourself at a point where it's just not worth selling anymore. Sell, sell, sell. All week I've been telling you you need to get right, right through this gauntlet, right? The gauntlet, well, here we go. This is what we're looking at the four hurdles that must be jumped. We had the Fed meeting, okay. Apple's earnings, that was this evening, employment report tomorrow morning at 8.30, and the debt ceiling, well, that's just hanging all over us like an attic, before we get to where buying stocks make sense. Well, I think it's a little more nuanced than that. I did think, though, we cleared the first hurdle, the Fed meeting, with ease. And, man, was I ever wrong about that. 
Not only did the Fed misunderstand the terrain and set us back by appearing totally oblivious to the current regional bank crisis. They know nothing! But we've now had four bank failures. Silicon Valley, Signature, Silvergate. But then earlier this week, we had First Republic. The first three had been irresponsible quirks that rendered their business model useless and reckless in the face of the Fed's rapid rate hikes. First Republic, though, was different. Sure, they made risky loans that others wouldn't touch, loans with low or no interest to attract or keep rich clients. But they didn't have many particularly bad loans, nor did they have a hyper-concentrated deposit base that could flee at a moment's notice based on a few scary tweets the way that they had at, at Silicon Valley Bank. Until a couple of months ago, First Republic's actually a pretty good outfit. And that's what makes this thing so much more unnerving than the Fed seemed to realize. We even thought that First Republic could be saved after a group of larger banks tossed them $30 billion in deposits to tide them over. For a while, it seemed like they were okay, but you know they really weren't. I knew it. You knew it. David Faber, my partner, the morning, we all knew it. Except for the FDIC. See, the FDIC was blindsided. Next thing you know, the bank had to be prickly given away to J.P. Morgan at 3 a.m. on Monday morning. How did that happen? Only J.P. Morgan seemed to know how to do it. So they, of course, made out like bandits. Small price to pay to save all those depositors? I don't know. I wish the FDIC had done a better, more thoughtful job. Actually, I wish they had done any job. Their lack of a plan, their very cluelessness, has us in the jam we are in now. I blame them, not the Fed. But the Fed should have realized that they were dealing with a group of people who are way over their heads. Once First Republic went under, smart money managers knew that they could bring the rest of the regional banks to their knees simply by aggressively shorting a regional bank ETF. And they're just laying on their selling on them like, man, I can see it. Why can't the people in charge see it? See, the, the selling in the ETFs crushes the stocks that are underneath, with, uh, and it's causing tremendous damage to all of the bank's stocks, good and bad. That All they happen to be, be is just stuck. They happen to be in the misfortune of being in these ETFs. If you crush the stocks, as we saw in 2008, you can cause a genuine bank run on its own because wealthier depositors see the action in the stock of their bank, and they flee, seemingly to safer financial institutions. They flee to J.P. Morgan. Didn't the FDIC do that? Didn't they see that? Didn't they know they were going to drive all the money to J.P. Morgan? So do the small businesses and charities that are in these unfortunate institutions. They have to get their money out. The fiduciaries will take that money out despite the bank's assurances because the stocks knocked down by ETF short sellers just scare the heck out of anyone. Nobody who's got a balance over the FDIC's quarter million dollar deposit insurance cap can even afford to stick around. It's too dangerous. Now, I would have thought Fed Chief Jay Powell realized this ahead of the meeting, but he focused solely on the initial wave of failures in March. It was like it was like he, he didn't know what was happening in April. It was like blindsided by current events. It's like he didn't follow the First Republic saga and he was on autopilot. That's not like him. And I knew there was big trouble, as I said last night, when I saw him misread the room so badly. The moment his press conference was over, smart hedge fund managers immediately went to work, literally, immediately. And what were they doing? Well, they were machine-gutting fish in a barrel. I don't want to mention the bank's names, 
But every single regional bank in these ETFs is now in danger of being the next First Republic. And none of them deserves to be. But they happen to be in the ETFs, and the FDIC just doesn't understand that, that way it works. Fortunately, there is an easy way to avoid the financial train wreck, and if they're listening to me, they will do this. The FDIC tomorrow morning, well, actually even sooner than that, just has to say, we will ensure the deposits of banks that have invested their money responsibly. If there are no credit problems in the portfolio, and we know and we've reviewed your portfolios, that's what we do for a living, we're going to bless you. And that includes the following banks. Then all they have to do is list the most heavily shorted regionals in the ETFs. That's all they have to do. They don't understand that. Look, I know stocks. They know banks. I'm smarter than them at stocks. They're smarter than me at banks. It's all right. Now, some might say the FTC needs congressional approval to make this happen. That's a real stupid thing. See, legally, sure, that's an objection. But regional banks are everywhere. No member of Congress ever wants to cross them, just like nobody wants to cross the auto dealerships. You see, the, these banks are the bread and butter of local economies. So it's easy to fix it. All the FDIC says that they ought to do it. And then they can go apologize to Congress, which will embrace them and say, thank you for helping us save our local banks. So that's their solution. I offer it. They should take it. If they don't, then I will hound them until they are. I'll hound them to the ends of the earth because it's your money that I'm worried about. I don't know what they're worried about. Second hurdle is Apple. Well, you know, Tim Cook, he was money in the bank the whole time. Largest company in the world reported tonight, and it was fine. Sure, Apple had a down quarter year over year, but the sales and earnings were both meaningfully better than expected, which is good enough for me. Let's just say box check. We cleared the hurdle with a few centimeters to spare. You know what I always say is own Apple, don't trade it. But I heard five or six people in the last 24 hours tell me to trade the, trade the heck out of it. I hate those people. I'm back into a hate mode, and I'm really good at it if I have to be. We try to jump the third hurdle tomorrow morning with the Labor Department's non-farm payroll report. Right now, we've made major strides in the fight against inflation. Gas leads down year over year. Supply chains have been fixed. Most shortages are over. A lot of the commodities are down. But we still have wage inflation. That's what the Fed's most afraid of. Fortunately, I think wage inflation's cooling. Why? Okay, immigration started up. By the way, more people have immigrated in the last six months than in the last six years. And a lot of the immigrants, guess what? They like to work. They like to support their families. They want their kids to go to college. They like us. That means more workers for the labor shortage. Meanwhile, we've gone through a prolonged period where new hires had to be trained to do their jobs. Guess what? They're now trained. Uh, by the same, at the same token, people who took time off there for COVID hit us are coming back to the office now that their free money's run out. And don't forget chat AI. That's laying off people left and right. So I think we can clear the wage inflation hurdle tomorrow morning. Again, only by a few centimeters, though. Finally, and this is a slightly longer-term problem, we got to solve the debt crisis. Here I still am. I believe we'll have more mayhem like we saw the last time this happened in 2011, where the real issue is whether the rating agencies downgrade the U.S. debt, not debt, not what's happening at the Congress. Now, I don't want it to go that far, but you need to keep some cash on the sidelines. When we uh, rally, if we do rally on the last three things that I'm talking about, you can do some selling so you get ready for the debt crisis. What has to happen here? First, stop listening to the experts who say we shouldn't worry about not getting a deal, like the Democrats or Republicans who come on TV all the time and try to reassure us when they're really out to get us. That's the same nonsense we heard in 2011. They were out to get us. They lied to their, through their teeth. They got away with it. They're pals. The averages dropped 19%, though, and you got hurt. Even if there's a deal, I don't expect it to come to the 11th hour, like last time. But if that happens, the market may have already fallen a bit from this point. So why not wait to do some buying? Well, if we clear tomorrow's labor hurdle, then the market will rally. However, it will only be a tradable run because there's enough lunatics in Congress to ensure that the debt ceiling negotiations go down to the wire. We get a 
another debt def- uh, a downgrade by the S&P, and that's going to cause pain. If we do rally short term, I recommend to take some profits and then steal yourself for the debt uh, ceiling fiasco, and then you can buy more. That's exactly what we're doing for the Chapel Trust. Why don't you join the club and find out rather than having me blather on about it? In the end, though, we need the FDIC to actually do something, stop the bank crisis. That's the game changer. If that happens, the market can go higher, at least until we get to the worst phase of the debt ceiling. I want the FDIC to act this evening. They don't understand stocks. I do. They should wake up or... Bottom line, once we jump the debt ceiling hurdle, I'm feeling much more optimistic about the market. Hey, by the way, I even saw an IPO window reopen. That's right, successful spin-off of Kenview, J&J's consumer business. We just need to make it through the gauntlet. It will happen. Gather some money if the market gets higher, and then get ready to buy it back when the politicians make sure that they take every one of all of your money if you don't play this one right. We'll get through this. We have for 19 years. We're going to get through this one together. Let me go to Jimmy in Kentucky. Jimmy. Happy birthday, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing fine. But right now I'm in the house of pain, it seems like, from Bank of America. I'm long, and I cannot understand why record profits, record numbers, and the stock uh, going down. Well, I'll tell you the truth. It it doesn't matter, Jimmy, because the level of confidence in banks has been undermined by everybody. And because the FDIC has been so poorly doing its job, and believe me, I am going to hound them to the ends of the earth, people like Jimmy in Kentucky are getting hurt. FDIC, there are 340 million Jimmys in Kentucky. Wake up and do your job or hire me and I'll do it for you. We have to get through this quote before the market can meaningfully go higher. But we will get through it. We always do. Raise some cash on a rally and then get ready. Put it back to work when the Pauls almost take everything you have. And that's when we'll act. Oh, man, money tonight, a real snapshot of our economy. From snacking to infrastructure and tech to engines, we're getting a read on what's really impacting this market. Man, you know, I can't believe we did all this today. Straight from my, from the sources, we've got some unbelievable companies. We've got Kellogg. We've got Martin Marietta. We've got Shopify. And we got Cummins. What a show. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. 
See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. All right, not everything was horrible today. Just look at Shopify, the e-commerce facilitator we've liked so much for so long, with the stock that surged nearly 24% to its highest level since April of last year. How'd they do it? First, Shopify reported an excellent quarter, better than expected on every major line, strong guidance for the current quarter. Second, and perhaps maybe the big story, Shopify selling its logistics business to Flexport, the privately held software company that helps its customers manage their supply chain. Third, sadly, they had to announce another major round of layoffs between the logistics sale and the firing. Shopify's workforce is decreasing by about 20%. At this point, the stock's up more than 140% from its lows last October, but can it keep running even if today's incredible move. Well, that, for that, we have to go to Harley, Harley Finkelstein. Harley's the president of Shopify. we got to learn more. Mr. Finkelstein, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Uh, great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Harley, first thing I have to ask as a customer, you know that, uh, a Shopify, I say to myself, wow, I don't know. I always loved that I could go to them and say, did my packages get delivered? How are things going? How will I know that, that Flexport's a good partner and they can do a good job for you? Yeah, let's, so let's start at, at, at the top and, and then drill into the announcements and some of the numbers. So today we, we're introducing changes that's going to change the shape of Shopify. And, and really the, the objective is to bring us back to our core mission, help us meet this massive opportunity ahead of us. And, and as you said, Shopify will be smaller by approximately 20%. And Flexport, our trusted partner, will be buying Shopify Logistics. So after the earnings call this morning, I spent the day with our team. Obviously, a very tough, tough day around here. These are not easy decisions. But this is not about cost-cutting for us. This is really about preparing for what's ahead. We want to be much more focused. We want to be moving much faster. As you know, Jim, because you use the product, uh, you know, millions of entrepreneurs and brands use Shopify, including most of your favorite brands. And now we power about 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. But we need the shape of the company to be such that we can, we can really access this massive opportunity and, and focus on our core mission, which is building commerce software. That's where we have the most impact. Now, despite these, these hard decisions, let's just talk about the numbers for a second. Sure. 2023 has started off incredibly strong for Shopify and our merchants. Revenue, as you pointed out, was up 25% year-on-year. GMV was up 15% year-on-year. And our attach rate, which is the metric that quantifies the usage of our product, was the highest it's ever been. So those are all great results. And on the bottom line, not only were we cash flow positive in this quarter, but we provided guidance that we will be cash flow positive each and every quarter this year. So this is my 13th year here at Shopify, sort of my, my Shopify bar mitzvah here, I guess. And I, Jim, I've never been more confident about the future of this company and, and the opportunities we have in front of us. Okay, very few companies can ex- accelerate in the retail business in particular uh, from Q1 from Q4 uh, actually is quite remarkable. What has happened, because, you know, there's a lot of other companies in your business that things have slowed dramatically uh, different, in different parts of e-commerce. No, actually, everyone has, except for some, a company that, except for a meta. So what's going on at Shopify that you're accelerating? Yeah, there's a couple things happening. First of all, the types of merchants that are coming in, you know, we have millions of stores on the platform. The vast majority of them are small and medium-sized businesses. 
But in the last couple of years, we've added Mattel and Heinz and Zoo Lily and Glossier and Steve Madden, Athletic Greens, uh, Mirror by Lululemon just uh, just launched a couple of days ago, ButcherBox. We're beginning to add much larger merchants, larger brands to Shopify. That's the first thing. The second thing is the suite of products that we are offering. You know, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, four years ago to the day, I was I was in your in your studio with you and in, in uh, at your at your old studio, and I told you that we were launching Shopify Capital, our capital business. At the time, we were doing about five hundred million of capital. Well, four years later, we've now done over $5 billion of capital. We have a point-of-sale product, which is now powering Banner Public Home and Equinox in-store physical retail. That's grown over 30% year-on-year in terms of GMV. We have ShopPay, which is, I think, I, I think your favorite check, or certainly mine, on the yeah. internet. It's the best converting checkout on the internet. That did $9 billion of GMV in Q1. We have things like Audiences, which is helping our merchants access more customers and, 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 and optimize their return on ad spend. So when you look across all the suite of products, what you see is that Shopify really is is providing this this incredible service, which is a retail operating system to millions of brands and stores all over the world. So it's not just more merchants and larger merchants, it's also a whole suite of products. And so, again, a somber day today because we have to say goodbye to some of our team members, but the objective is to get Shopify to a shape that we can really execute over the next decade. I want to talk about empowerment for a second. Uh, You went over a great number of points. I've always felt that Shopify is my partner. If I'm in a jam, it's my partner. You are rooting for me. Talk about the innate culture. I know it was a tough day for you, but for your customers, it continues to be a great day to deal with Shopify. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we're trying to do is we want to democratize the the building process of entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship, we think, is this wonderful way for people to commercialize a hobby or to make money, to to put food on their table. If they, you know, in in times in, in tough times, people are looking to supplement their income or replace their income if, if if they no longer have a job in some of these you know difficult macro environments. Shopify provides you with the best way to start a business. Now, what we also care about is how do we give small businesses the tools that historically only the biggest companies could afford. How do we give them payment rates? How do we give them capital? How do we help them with things like a cross-border, uh, you know, cross-border checkouts? They can sell all over the world with Shopify markets. What would happen if everyone that had an ambition was able to take that ambition and build a company? What we've seen, if you look at, if you look at some of the homegrown success stories, the Gym Sharks of the world, the Aloe Yogas of the world, the Vioris of the world, the Figs of the world, some of these are now category leaders, and they started at their mom's kitchen table just a few years ago. If you democratize entrepreneurship by giving small business the tools, these incredible companies can get built. And I think the world is better with more entrepreneurship, and that is our core mission. Now, I do want to know uh, exactly if things get tight, if the rates are high, if, the, if credit gets harder to get. Shopify will be there for me? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that, you know, talk about Shopify Capital, for example, we're able to make much better underwriting decisions because we have so much information right. seeing your business. We don't just see your five, you know, your beacon score, your credit score and, and your transactions. Because we have more information, we can make much better underwriting decisions to give you capital so you can invest in things like inventory and you can buy more advertising. The audience's product is, is, is incredible product because what we're able to do is if you're buying an ad on any major surface area, we, we're, we're integrated to Google and to Meta and to Instagram and, and more recently Pinterest, we can tell you what a sample audience may look like. Therefore, when you're placing those ads on these ad platforms using our machine learning, we can actually anticipate a sample audience so you have much better targeting, which means you have a higher return on ad spend. These are right. things that were impossible for small, medium-sized businesses, and that's what we're doing for millions of stores. I, right I, always like, I always had to play with that open hand and reveal Shopify is our provider uh, for my wife's Pascal, and you do a remarkable job. I don't mind saying that because it's true. That's Harley Finkelstein, president of Shopify. Tough day. 
but also a good day for shareholders. We have to acknowledge both. Thank you, Harley. Great to see you. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Hit my back after the break. Coming up, honey, is the milk still good? Earnings are out for this packaged good stock. A walk down the cereal aisle is next. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clear at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Now that everybody's terrified of recession, you need some packaged food exposure. This group is a classic safe haven, especially now that the industry's input costs are falling, but a lot of the prices to you don't come down. Which brings me to Kellogg, the iconic snack and cereal maker. Last June, Kellogg announced plans to break itself up by spinning off their slower-growing cereal business in order to become a pure play on snacking and other higher-growth products. Stock's been range-bound since then. I don't know why that is. I think it's an enticing story. Now, this morning, Kellogg reported a solid quarter, 13-cent earnings speed off a dollar basis higher than expected sales of 10% year over year. Even better, they raised their full-year forecast, yet the stock didn't get any credit, actually selling off a bit, in large part because this one had already run up into the quarter. So we have to ask ourselves, could this be a buying opportunity? Let's take a closer look with Steve Kaling. He's the chairman and CEO of Kellogg. Steve Kaling, welcome to Mad Money. Great to be with you, Jim. Thanks for having well, me. Well, I'm so glad you're here because you're going to answer a question for me that I think is uh, not correct. One of the analysts who has a neutral on your rating says, we want to stay on the sidelines without a better sense of potential upside post-split. I think that that's exactly the wrong point of view. I think you should be committing now, given the fact that the split's going to unlock so much value. Do you agree with me or with the analyst? I agree with you, Jim. I mean, obviously, if you want to wait to see what happens, you're going to be caught on the sidelines when the game advances. And, you know, I heard somebody say today that we're range bound, we're a deal stock. I think we're a really good deal because when we unlock this value, if you wait to see it happen, it's going to be too late. We're very convinced, you know, very convinced with a high degree of conviction that we're doing the right thing and our share owners are going to benefit greatly. I think that the uh, both a snacking company and a cereal company may not necessarily be should be under the uh, in the same roof in America at least. Will you expect both of these companies because they'll have good balance sheets to begin to spread out? There's so many aisles of the supermarket related to snacking that it could be a terrific opportunity for you. It absolutely will be, Jim. And when we separate the two businesses, they're both going to have very solid balance sheets. And if you look at our net debt right now, our net debt as a total company has been coming down. So we're starting from a position of strength as we set these two up. 
And as you said, you know, we look at our Kelanova business, which is going to be our international snacking business. We've benefited from acquisitions in the past, all the way back in 2012 when we purchased Pringles. We've doubled the Pringles business uh, under the Kellogg ownership, you know, to the, our latest acquisition, which is RX Bar, which has done very, very well which was an add-on and a nice white space. So, so we'll continue to look for th those opportunities. We've got strong route to markets around the world. So there's a lot of synergies. There's a lot of capabilities that we have as we think about organic growth, but also as we think about inorganic opportunities. Um, can you tell us about the inflation situation? Because you've had a lot of inflation. You've had some really big numbers, but they've been uh, helped by uh, prices going up. Is there a moment where some of your raw costs are going to come down nicely, but you should still be able to keep some of those price points because people love your, your brand so much? Yeah, it's a very good question. And what we've seen, as you know, is inflation like we haven't seen in 30, 40 years. We've been able to price for that. Volumes held up very nicely. Uh, you know, we're talking about high teens price increases. And in North America, our volume in the first quarter was down less than 1%. In our Asia region, it was actually up. And as a total company, down less than 2%. When you're raising prices in mid-teens, that's pretty good. So as you look into the future, to your question, will we see deflation? We should. We don't see it yet. But what we've seen is inflation has not continued to rise. And so as the opportunity for, uh, you know, falling costs input cost comes in, we have to continue to delight the consumer so that we can actually hold on to our ma margins, even expand our margins going forward. And you know, you've heard the same thing. There's, there's a school of thought out there that it will all be promoted away. You know, if you delight your consumers, if you innovate, if you go to your customers with really winning plans, uh, you know, our, our consumer has shown that they're resilient, they're willing to pay these prices. We have to just continue to earn these prices no matter what happens to input cost inflation. Okay, now we have in front of us uh, some of your tastiest things. And I, I, I'll tell you, I probably went on a big fishing ship. All you ever do is take Pringles on a fishing ship. You don't want the big bag of chips. And we've got the Nutri-Grain, which are so delicious. But some of them might say, wait a second, those Pop-Tarts, those aren't what I want. I want plant-based. I want stuff that's good for you. In fact, you and I have talked about the tremendous uh, really, uh, I would say multiple, multiple different brands of plant products that are so good for you that I want you to talk about because you almost spun them out by themselves. We did. So we've got Morningstar Farms, which is one of the greatest brands in the plant-based space, one of the pioneers in the plant-based space. We did look at spinning that off as part of the transformation that we're going through. And that was when, you know, there was really uh, outsized valuations in some of the peers that our own share owners were not benefiting from. So, of course, it was our duty to look at that. Since then, valuations have come crashing down. And, you know, you're seeing a shakeout happen in that plant-based space. And we have a high degree of conviction that Morningstar Farms will be a very strong survivor as this shakeout continues. Because to your point, the mega trends behind plant-based eating, which are a care for the environment, a care for health and wellness, all things plant-based, sustainability, those are mega trends that are gonna be, you know, that are gonna continue, they're here to stay. And you know, that, that'll change the way that people make choices around what they're eating. So as this shakeout happens, Morningstar Farms will be a strong, strong competitor, will be left standing, and will be a great part of our portfolio. In the meantime, if you want income, you're going to be given a pretty good opportunity with cereal, correct? There's no question. I mean, the cereal business has recovered very, very nicely. During the pandemic, people rediscovered, you know, the joy and the versatility of cereal. We had some issues ourselves with a strike and a fire last year. 
uh, that we're coming through very nicely. The business is doing very well. We've got iconic brands, Frosted Flakes, Fruit Loops, you know, Corn Flakes that you know, consumers absolutely love. We continue to invest in them. Uh, they're strong, profitable brands, a great category, one of the highest penetration categories in the grocery store. And so, you know, we're very excited about the prospects of that business going forward. Well, I think if you wait for the split, you're going to miss a big part of the move, but there'll be more to, more to it after that, too. I love this idea, and I've loved it since the moment you mentioned it. That's Steve Kale. He's the president and CEO of Kellogg, which is splitting into two very good companies, a classic situation. I do favor the snacks, but if you want a lot of income, then you should favor the cereals. Bad Money's back after the break. Coming up, is this stock worth more than the sum of its parts? After posting record revenues this quarter, Cummings joins Kramer next. says industrials can't change their stripes. For ages, we've been in awe of engine maker Cummins, but we've been concerned about dirty diesel machines that hasten climate change. We also fear that companies like Cummins will change their ways only kicking and screaming and won't be making enough money when they inevitably switch to do what's right. But Cummins turned out to be a heck of a lot better than that. You see, on Tuesday morning, Cummins reported a magnificent quarter. We're talking an 83-cent earnings beat off a $4.72 basis, 32% revenue growth. Management raised their full-year forecast substantially. Plus, we think Cummins can now be a long-term winner thanks to its early leadership in low and zero-emission zero engines. It just may take some time before Wall Street's willing to acknowledge those kinds of positives. And that's your opportunity. Earlier today, we sat down with Jennifer Rumsey. She's the president and CEO of Cummins to get a better read on the entire situation. Take a look. Ms. Rumsey, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. Oh, thank you so much. I've got to tell you that the uh, evolution, if not revolution, under you of Cummins is extraordinary. Before we get to the actual numbers, let's talk about your decarbonization efforts, because you lead the world in what I regard as being the an area of pollution that we're all quite familiar with, that if we follow your take, we might even get rid of. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a, the reality is it's a challenging time in our planet with global warming. Uh, and we also see that challenge as a real opportunity for Cummins. So decarbonization, our strategy we call Destination Zero, uh, is an opportunity to grow and evolve the company. And we're focused on doing that by both reducing CO2 from engine-based solutions, developing alternate fuel versions, of those uh, engine-based solutions, as well as investing in Accelera by Cummins, our business focused on new zero emissions-based solutions like battery electric and fuel cell electric powertrains. So a lot going on and a variety of things that will be needed to serve our customer applications. Well, let's talk about Accelera because I think it's so exciting. Uh, you really are basically any way that can be done that's clean. I love your hydrogen efforts. But what I thought was most important was that our country has some emission changes coming in in 2027. And it's not like your company is going to be rushing to get them. I think you're doing them right now. You're facilitating to make sure that anyone who buys a truck right now will be in compliance. How are you capable to do that, given that other truck companies are scrambling? Yeah, well, we have always focused on ensuring that what we're doing is is leading to a cleaner, healthier, and safer environment. And the, the need to decarbonize also creates value for our customers. 
if there's less CO2 emissions, that's less fuel that they're using. And with the, the cost of diesel fuel in the last couple of years, they're very interested in solutions that improve fuel efficiency. We also have customers that want to start testing and trying and understanding these alternative technologies by like battery electric and fuel cell electric. So we have uh, a number of battery electric buses in operation today and have announced we'll continue to produce those with our partner Bluebird. So we're putting this technology out there because it allows our customers to get experience, us to get experience, advance the technology, and then of course be ready as regulation drives adoption more broadly. In the meanwhile, around the world, there is a tremendous desire, interest, and need for more engines of all kinds, not just truck engines. You just revise your earnings up. It seems like that guidance is improving all around the globe. If you could give us some of the spots that you are, are surprised about yourself or are most encouraging, so people might think, you know what, I want to be in Cummins both because it's decarbonizing, but also because it's making a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So we are coming off of our first quarter earnings announcement earlier this week where we announced record revenue, uh, uh, EBITDA and earnings per share for the company. And we raised our guidance for the year. And we're really coming out of two years where we've had a number of supply constraints that have limited our ability to meet our customer demands. Our products are performing well in the field. There's been a lot of use of those customers and they have aging fleets. They want to replace the trucks. They want to um, buy new equipment. And so across most of our markets, we continue to see strong demand today, plants producing at capacity. Um, and China, which has really been the market over the last year and a half that has been down, is starting to show some signs of improvement. So even there, we, we, we showed some improvement in Q1. I'm paying attention, of course, to those broader economic indicators. But at this point, the focus really is on meeting the demand that our customers have placed on us. You know, using the term pay attention reminds me of the fact that we had Meritor on when it was still independent. And I paid attention and I couldn't believe how fantastic it was doing and how people didn't care. It didn't have any sex of people, didn't have what people. It wasn't Apple. You know, it wasn't wasn't uh, Google. But you saw it. The acquisition in from what I can tell, the numbers are extraordinary about what you've been able to do with Meritor. Yeah, we were really pleased to acquire. That was my first week as CEO when we closed that acquisition in August of last year. We believe that it adds a complementary component in the powertrain to Cummins business. A lot of commonality and customers and values between the company and an ability for us to offer a broader solution to customers today with their brakes and axles, as well as the e-powertrain technology and some of the work they've been doing in electrified powertrains that we think positions us in Accelera to provide a broader solution for our customers there as well. And if I were at the Advanced Clean Transportation Expo today, what would I see from Cummins? Well, I'll tell you, I didn't have the chance to go there myself, but I was at one of our global shows in Europe last year, and it's amazing to me how what Cummins is doing today has shifted from where we were pre-pandemic four or five years ago. We're offering a whole variety of different solutions focused on decarbonization and meeting our customers' evolving needs. Our customers have different applications. There's not one solution that will meet all their needs. They're not all going to move to alternate technologies at the same time. And Cummins is really positioning ourselves 
to bring the right technology to them at the right time and to be a trusted partner that can help them figure out how they navigate a change that will happen in the coming decades. Well, I must compliment you. I've always loved Cummins. We saw Cummins, I guess, more than a decade ago. You always made the best engines, but now you make the most thoughtful and best engines. I want to thank you, Jennifer Rumsey, President and CEO of Cummins. I was so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate it. Okay, may I want to be right back. Coming up, what's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, daddy, time for the lightning round. I want to start with Katie in Florida. Katie. Hey, Kramer. Booyah. This is Katie Jaramillo in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. And I'm calling in regards to stock ticker IMGN. Immunogen. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. They've always had some very, very good people, anti-cancer. And it looks like they've come up with something that's targeted. And I've got to tell you, if it's real, the stock's got another four or five points on it. Let's go to Rajesh in Connecticut. Rajesh. Hi, Jim. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for uh, all your advice. Rajesh from Connecticut. I have a question uh, today about one Bionopilita company that is reporting their earnings next Monday. And I see they have a negative P ratio and they're expected to become some profitable next coming quarters. And I see they have some expansion plans and it is working yeah. good. So what's your uh, opinion about Affirm? Affirm. Okay, every single company that uses them really respects them. Max Lepchin should be respected, too. I know people are very concerned that if interest rates keep going higher, they will not do well. So I've got to tell you, I am on the fence. Affirm. Let's go to Carson in California. Carson. Jimmy, chill. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you, Carson? Good, thank you. So my, my question is about... Um, Moving our technologies. So no, we are not it, recommending any stocks right now that are losing so, so, money so. like that. Hand over fist on, uh, on mad money. Let's go to Trey in Texas. Trey. Jim, Zania is the benchmark for designer menswear. It sure is. I'm wearing it now, and I think the stock can go higher. It is undervalued at 12. I'm surprised it's there. We got to do a piece on that. Let's go to Rick in New York. Rick. Yes, hi, Jim. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm glad you're on. What's going on? I'd like to get your views on uh, restaurants. Uh, I mean, uh, sorry, uh, residential REITs in the retirement portfolio. And your take on Avalon Bay community. I think Avalon Bay, there's a tremendous shortage of product. They know how to do it. I think it's a buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Look at one of my old favorites, Martin Marietta Materials Run. 
For a while now, I've been recommending the infrastructure plays because all that federal spending on this stuff is finally about to start coming online. Martin Marietta Materials makes building materials. Think aggregates, concrete, cement, all speed. Asphalt. These are natural winners, and don't you get bored because making money is never boring. Sure enough, when the company reported this morning, they shot the lights out. Martin Marietta earned $2.16 per share. Wall Street was only looking for $0.98. Cents. That may be the biggest beat I've heard since, since the year began. And that's how the stock jumped more than 5% on an otherwise very tough day for the market. Can it keep running? You know what? I'm betting it can. So let's dig deeper with Ward Nice, the chairman and CEO of Martin Marietta Materials. Find out more. Ward, welcome back to Man Money. Jim, it's so good to be back, and good to be back in person. Oh, it sure is. You know, I was thinking about you. I was down in Washington speaking to Mitch Landry, who's the, the czar of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And I got the feeling that we're not looking for one good quarter or two good quarters or one year. We're talking about maybe three or four years of infrastructure money that you're going to do well with. Jim, I believe that's true. We, we've got this wonderful multi-year highway bill, reauthorization. We're seeing good federal spend come through. The contract lending, if we go back over the last, let's call it four years, and look at a compound annual growth rate of around, let's call it 3.5%, now we're seeing something closer to 16.5% in the trailing 12 months. We're entering a new phase, but we're overdue. And uh, Yes, we're overdue. But I point out that right now, uh, Mitch was saying it's the non-permanent products, of which, by the way, you, you have stuff to do, Rose, that have gotten through, but the, perm- the permanent, when we get the big jobs, that's when we're really going to need you. That, that's precisely right. And we're going to see a lot of big work because what happened, let's keep in mind, we went almost a decade and a half without a long-term bill. So we did a lot of maintenance and repair, but there are a lot of parts of the country that have been growing that need to have more capacity added today, and that's when our company can really shine. Well, if that's the case also, that could be one of the reasons why both aggregates and cement, you're beginning to make the money you deserve. Sometimes you under... You, you, frankly, you can't get your, you, you can't get price. Right now, it does seem like it's in the sweet spot. Well, it is in the sweet spot. In aggregates, pricing has always been pretty good. We get pricing whether volume goes up or volume goes down. But inflation last year hit. It hit very aggressively. It took us a while to catch up yes. with that. But now we have. So if we're looking year over year at 23% pricing up in aggregates, <laughs> 32% up in cement. And it makes for what you said a very attractive first quarter. But we don't think it's a one-quarter story. Perfect. Now, I know a lot of people worry about commercial real estate. I always say, look at these gigantic housing developments. This is where Martin Marietta is most needed. And housing is incredibly strong in this country. And we maybe need two, anywhere between 2 and 7 million more homes. You play a role every time a development occurs. Well, to your point, housing was underbuilt for a long yes. time. Right now, multifamily is keeping it relatively strong. But if we go back over the last decade, we're going to see structurally underbuilt single-family housing. And when single-family housing goes, the non-residential tends to follow. And these states that we very intensely build our business, populations are flowing into. Well, let's talk about states. I was so relieved when I heard your conference call. It's all those areas that people are really starting to expand. Texas, North Carolina was a standout. You like to call out the areas that are strong. And yes, California, a lot of people feel it's hard to build there, but you are defying that. Well, there are a lot of people in California. They've got a lot of roads in California, so building will continue there. And there's actually a very robust infrastructure program there as there is in Texas, as there is in North Carolina. My home state of North Carolina, for example, has now started dedicating certain amounts of sales tax directly to infrastructure because they recognize 
they have to do it. Do you know years ago you told me Georgia did that and one day all the rest would follow? I guess they're doing it. They are doing it. And there is this clear view that there's been an underinvestment in infrastructure. Yes. Now, I have a map in my hands, and again, I recall you from when we used to look at a map, and it was this little area here. You're everywhere except a couple key states in the Northeast. I have to say, I haven't seen your balance sheet this clean in a long time. Are there potential companies that you could buy in these areas, either for cement or aggregates, to cement your hold on America? In aggregates, we're really going where the people are going because we're not a discretionary That's product. a good point, and the people so, are going south. And the people are heading south, so we're really focused on that. And in cement, we speak of that as a strategic cement business, and for right. that, that really means Texas for us right. for all those same reasons, Jim. Now, how are you in terms of, a lot of people might say to me, how could you not ask them about whether it's, uh, cement uses a tremendous amount of, uh, of energy, uh, rocks, bringing up rocks, moving rocks from one place. Florida doesn't have any rocks. What are you doing about diesel fuel? What are you doing about trying to keep the skies clean as you move the rocks where they have to be? Well, we're doing several things. One, we move more stone by rail than any other producer in the United States. Wait, so 30 million tons a year are moving by rail to areas of the country to your point, that don't have indigenous stone. Yes. The other thing that we're doing is we're being very careful about how we provide power to locations as well. So we're looking at wind energy, we're looking at solar energy, we're looking at alternative fuels. And we're also constantly making sure that our fleet is right-sized. So if you think, think about these big haul trucks that we right. use in quarries, depending on what size you use, will determine the number of turns that you have. So we're very focused on making sure we're doing it the right way because we're like you. We want clean air, we want clean water, and we can do that. Well, my understanding also is when you have, say, the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation or, or you have Caltrans, these entities now demand this, and you're ready for even the most stringent environmental concerns from all these states? We can absolutely meet those, and part of what you'll see if you look at our growth profile is we bought more businesses that have degrees of recycle as well. Right. So number one, we have a long-lived reserve body that we can mine for the next 70 years at today's extraction rates. At the same time, if we're using recycled concrete, if we're using recycled asphalt, number one, that's good for the environment. Number two, it extends the reserve life of our very important quarries. Well, uh, if people are watching and you say, geez, you know, these infrastructure bills, they spend so much money, the Democrats this, whatever. Hey, how about making some money yourself on it? How about buying the stock of Martin Marietta Materials? That's Ward Nye. He's the chairman and president of Martin Marietta Materials. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. Promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselkumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Tremphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary.
Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Tremphia.